The Lacandon jungle is slowly disappearing. Scientists say that two-thirds of the biggest rainforest in Mexico has been lost. Only 10% of the jungle remained virgin, and environmental groups and indigenous people are trying to curb deforestation, illegal logging, and trade with protected species. There's also the Maya Train, a multi-billion dollar government project threatening the region, seeking to expand access to tourism. Tuesday, June 22nd is World Rainforest Day. So we wanted to learn more about one of the biggest tropical rainforests in North America, the species that live there and the people who are fighting to protect them. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. There's a protected area inside the Lacondon jungle. It's called the Montes Azules Biosphere, and it's home to 3,400 plant species, over 44% of all Mexican birds, and 24% of all mammals in Mexico. Al Jazeera's team in Mexico traveled to the region, so we called one of our correspondents, Manuel Rapalo, to take us deep into this fascinating jungle. Manuel, not too long ago, you took a trip to the Lacandon jungle. How do you get there from, say, Mexico City, where you are right now? The Lacandon is located right on the border of Mexico and Guatemala. So the southern border of Mexico in the state of Chiapas, primarily. It's not the easiest place to get to, but if you're trying to travel there from Mexico City, you can drive. It's going to be very long. If you're a tourist, I would recommend flying to the capital of Chiapas, San Cristóbal de las Casas, and then driving the many hours that it takes to get to the jungle. Or you could also charter a flight, which is what we did. We chartered a small plane and flew right to the edge of the jungle. Which explains how you got such good aerial footage of this jungle. How big are we talking? How far does this jungle extend? Yeah, we took the door off of the Cessna so that we could really get a sense of the expanse of of this wilderness, but also to get a, a, a better sense of the extent of the deforestation that's taken place. We're talking about an area that's less than a quarter of the total landmass of Mexico, but accounts for a majority of the country's biodiversity. So it is called one of the last great tropical jungles in the region. And yet today, scientists estimate that 90% of that jungle is gone. So what happened and who's responsible? Who's responsible is us, it's human beings. The the reason that the jungle has been uh, depleted as much as it has entirely to do with the sprawl of urban development In the beginning, the first signs that there was trouble was when the chicleros came in. This would be sometime in the late 19th century. These are uh, people who would tap the trees for sap that would later be used to make chewing gum. And that sort of went on into the 20th century. By the way, Mexico is the second largest consumer of chewing gum in the world, after the United States. Today, the country is home to the largest chewing gum factory, but it only exports over 30% of its product. 
wasn't in, in well into the second half of the 20th century that the Mexican government stepped in, creating the Montes Azul Biosphere Reserve and putting an end to illegal settlements and putting an end to illegal logging. But that only lasted for a short while as well. Those same problems that led to the deforestation and depletion of the Lacandon jungle 50, 60 years ago are arguably even worse today. Let's talk about who calls the forest home and the biodiversity in this region. It's in what's called the Montes Azules Biosphere Reserve. So tell me more about what lives there. The Montes Azul Biosphere Reserve is home to a third of all bird species in Mexico. So it's an immensely biodiverse place. Apart from that, there's people that live there, indigenous communities that make their home in the jungle that have that can trace back their lineage for generations all the way back to the Spanish conquest when they were forced into the jungle, the Lacandon Maya, but also other indigenous communities along Mexico's southern border and along Guatemala's border with Mexico, who have made it a very characteristic aspect of, of their lifestyle is that they live in harmony with their surroundings. We'll get back to the people. But first, we wanted to know more about what Manuel saw firsthand during that flight above the jungle and the threats that are contributing to its disappearance. It's amazing to be able to fly over the jungle because you're flying over the Mexico-Guatemala border. You don't see a border, you just see trees, but you see trees as far as the eye can see. It's just an incredible, beautiful place. And lakes, these pristine lakes with nothing around them, just crystal clear water. You see Mayan ruins that just jet out from the forest canopy. There's waterfalls. And then as you sort of start flying over the edge of the forest, that sort of border between the forest and where urban sprawl is starting to claim that forest land, that's where you start seeing problems. See patches of deforested rainforest, areas that have been cleared for cattle farming. There's also illegal activity, drug trafficking, where drug traffickers come in and they clear land in the rainforest to build clandestine airstrips. Because remember, this is the Mexico-Guatemala border. This is southern Mexico, Chiapas. There are several drug cartels that operate in this area, international drug cartels. And apart from that, I'd say one of the one of the biggest problems and the more visible problems are the palm plantations, African palm, that not only requires a tremendous amount of water for it to be sustainable, it depletes the soil of nutrients. So even with policies that are leading to areas near the forest to be reclaimed, that soil has gone sour from these palm plantations. Cattle ranching, as you mentioned, that's not something that I immediately think of when I think of a jungle. How did cattle ranching get started there, and and is it legal? Some of it is legal. Some of it is definitely illegal. So Chiapas is one of the poorest states in Mexico, and cattle ranching is a good way for people to climb out of poverty. It's a quick way for people to make money. And for a long time, the Mexican government was actually promoting this as a way for people to climb out of poverty in the state of Chiapas. That has since changed. The Mexican government is now providing monetary incentives for people to, instead of clearing land for their cattle, to plant trees. So they'll actually be given a monetary incentive by the Mexican government to plant trees. 
Some people, some cattle ranchers are about it. Some cattle ranchers like the idea. They've taken the deal with the government. But many others, including at least one that I spoke to, told me outright, you know, I want to be able to send my kids to school. People have said that I should plant hardwood trees, but I asked them how long would I have to wait for the tree to send my children to school. I feel more secure with my cattle, and if I need money tomorrow, I just sell a cow. So it's hard not to be able to sympathize with someone who's uh, struggling, but it's also easy to see how devastating the effects of the practice can be. Can you tell me more? Why is that harmful to this area? Cattle need a lot of space to graze, a lot of space to roam. And if you have a lot of cattle, you're going to need even more space. And when you look at what's going on on that edge, that frontier of the forest, there's just small settlements, small communities. But around them are farms and around them are cattle ranches. This is food for the people that live in these small communities. So the more people that move to the edge of the jungle, the more food they need, the more farmland they need, the more cattle they need. That means more uh, land being cleared. And when you run out of land around the jungle, you start looking for land in the jungle. All of that really helps explain why there are groups who are trying to fight to preserve the virgin territory that is left. So you spoke to groups of people who are doing just that. Among them are indigenous people, the Lacondon indigenous people, who are working with the Natura Mexicana, just a group of scientists. What are they doing and, and what did they tell you? It's an amazing partnership that encompasses everything to do with conservation. On one end, you have conservation efforts that, that deal specifically with species of animals in the rainforest. But you also have uh, education programs and protecting the jungle could actually be a source of income for them because they're promoting ecotourism. And this is something that scientists, along with the indigenous communities, along with conservationists working for the government, are really trying to promote. Interestingly, on that note, you spoke to someone who is an ecotourist guide. His name is Cornelio Rios. Do you remember that interaction, that interview? Yes, I, I vividly remember that interview. I remember that whole day. It was a really exciting day. We were at the outpost where the scientists with Natura Mexicana have their, their research facilities. This is in the jungle. And they tell us, hey, do you guys want to see some of the ecotourism projects that we have going on? And they take us to a zip lining location. <laughs> up on a hill, doing some zipline canopy through the jungle that's really fun, really exciting. And we're running through a couple of ziplines and I get to talking to Cornelio, who says that... Anteriormente, la gente... In the past, people here didn't have a form of income to sustain themselves. Many people, like myself, would immigrate to the United States. But now, thanks to this project, we no longer have that need. Remember, this is Chiapas. This is one of the poorest states in Mexico. These are the only options that many people in this part of Mexico used to see before these conservationists arrived and said, hey, you can make money off of the natural resources around you. People want to see this. Not everybody has a rainforest in their backyard. <laughs> and I don't know, you just, you see it when you speak to him. Not only does he love what he's doing, giving people tours of his backyard, but it's given him opportunities that he would have probably never had in his life. And that idea of 
immigrating to the United States is gone. It's no longer in his head. For this adventure that Manny and his team took to Lacandon, they spent the night at a camp in the middle of the jungle, all made possible because of an NGO, Natura Mexicana. They've been in the Lacandon forest since 2005, studying and helping to preserve the Montes Azules Biosphere Reserve. And Manuel and his team had a great guide, Fiorella Ortiz, an ecotourism consultant. Fiorella is one of the biologists who led our tour through the jungle. We work on monitoring projects to increase our watch over the forest. Where we are now is under surveillance from trap cameras. We watch the different mammals in the area that serve as indicators of the health of this ecosystem. So camera traps to sort of keep an eye on the population of jaguars, ocelots, jaguarundis, macaws, tapirs, all kinds of animals that make their home in the jungle. But also she flew with us above the jungle, showing us the spots where the forest is being cleared by illegal logging, showing us the parts of the forest that have been claimed by the palm oil plantations, showing us the clandestine runways that have been built by what they believe are drug traffickers. This sounds like it could be complicated. There are a lot of different actors, the conservationists, the indigenous groups, the illegal loggers, the cattle ranchers, and then the drug traffickers. Are there confrontations and conflicts that crop up? The short answer to whether or not there's conflicts is yes. Because when we talk about the indigenous people, for example, that make their home in the jungle, specifically the Lacandon Maya, who in many ways have been entrusted to care for hundreds and hundreds of acres uh, of jungle beyond the limits of their communities. The biggest threat that they see are from squatters. They call them invaders. They see this as a war. They see this as a fight for their future. Can you tell me about some of the indigenous leaders that you spoke to? This was a really incredible uh, experience to get to walk around the forest and actually and basically have a tour of the rainforest by elders and leaders within the Lacandon Maya community. We spoke to one, his name is Chanchin Chambor. They're trying to steal the land, but we, the Lacandon people, do not agree with the normalization of this invasion. The government should intervene and relocate them. So they want the Mexican government to step in and evict a lot of these actors that are in the jungle illegally where they shouldn't be. That's on one hand. On the other hand, they want to spread the word about conservation. They're very adamant about having a, a change of consciousness in the average person, not only in Mexico, but around the world, to think about how their actions ultimately impact the world around them. So what is the Mexican government doing in this regard? Uh, because I know... The Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, at one point was pushing for a big project, Train Maya. It was originally planned to go through the region. And people, of course, have opposed this because of what they say would be the ecological damage that it might cause. The president has said that he will stop the train from passing by there. But he also mentioned that it doesn't really matter because the jungle is gone anyway. What do conservationists and the indigenous groups that you spoke to, what do they make of that and and how much they actually think the Mexican government is doing to help? The Mexican president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, very famously said that 
the government would not cut down a single tree to build this Mayan train, this infrastructure project to bring tourists to southern Mexico, to see the ancient ruins, to see the jungle. But the project is underway, and the photographs clearly show that areas of forests have been plowed to make way for railroad tracks. So it is very divisive, because again, on the one hand, you have an area of the country that is poverty-stricken. It's one of the most impoverished regions of North America, southern Mexico. So people recognize the need for jobs and a big infrastructure project like building a train and building towns around where the train will stop to build hotels, to build restaurants, to build shops. This could be a good way to generate money, to generate opportunities. So people see that as an opportunity. On the other hand, you have the very obvious damage this is going to cause to the ecosystems in the path of that train. The amount of water that's needed to get these projects off the ground just for construction. There are not a lot of rivers in southern Mexico. Despite it being lush jungle, a lot of the waterways are subterranean, which means that to get to this water, they're going to have to drill and just extract water from aquifers and extract water from subterranean rivers. I couldn't let Manuel go without talking about a few of my favorite creatures from his report. And it involved a little show and tell. I do want to talk about the birds and the butterflies because they're pretty striking. They're gorgeous. I brought home some butterflies in a glass case. Please describe them for me. I'll show you this one because I think this one's the most beautiful. Wow, it's huge. Is this a monarch? What kind this of... This is... Oh the, my gosh. That this, is stunning. This is a blue morpho butterfly. You, you can tell because of that beautiful iridescent blue color and that black kind of outline. So I brought a few of these butterflies in these glass cases home. They're really affordable. And most importantly, they're 100% sustainable. This is one of the conservation projects that was started by the scientists with uh, Natura Mexicana, where they partnered with local communities, local artisans, and specifically local women to start a butterfly farm where they breed specifically the blue morpho butterfly. It's an iconic butterfly of the Mexican and Central American rainforests. And they're breeding these butterflies, they're raising them, the, a majority of them, to be released back into the rainforest. And a certain percentage of them, especially those that might die while in captivity, are placed in these glass cases that they then sell to tourists. But the important thing to remember here is that these are not butterflies that were caught flying in the rainforest. These were bred as part of this breeding program to be re-released into the jungle. And then that's another way for these communities to create opportunities using the resources around them and do it in a sustainable way. You saw so many stunning things on this trip. And the macaws are my other favorite. There's this one shot that your camera person takes and they pan up to the sky and all of these brightly, beautifully colored birds start flying. I love the scarlet macaws. They're beautiful. The birds that we filmed, which were several dozen scarlet macaws, are the last population of wild macaws in all of Mexico. That's what makes this breeding program by Natura Mexicana to ensure that every year there are new hatchlings so important. 
Scarlet macaws used to be found all over southern Mexico and in Central America. They are now a critically endangered species. The illegal pet trade is another massive contributor to the decline of biodiversity in the jungle. It feels like such a privilege to be able to see an ecosystem that's so delicate, that's so fragile. But while it feels like such a privilege, I want everyone to be able to see it. And I think that conservationists and the indigenous communities and the, the local people that live along the edge of the jungle, they want you to see it too. They want you to visit because they know that when people come and see for themselves how beautiful, how fragile and delicate and important these ecosystems are, they're going to want to protect them too. Manuel, thank you so much for taking me on this virtual jungle tour. I cannot wait to go see it post-pandemic. I really hope that that is uh, a thing I can make happen. So thank you. And that's The Take. If you go to our Twitter and Instagram at AJ the Take, you can see those beautiful butterflies Manuel showed me during our conversation. We'll put the links to his report there as well. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Priyanka Tilve, Nagin Auliai, Amy Walters, Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tom Fenton is our editor. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back.